This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Another episode, a bonus episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who one point Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and since this is a special bonus episode, Brian is actually away, but we've got a special guest taking his place. This is the first time in Keeping Carlson history we've done a regular live episode without Brian and I both here. Instead of Brian, we've got. Cam Robinson. He's a staff writer at Dauber Hockey, Canucks senior writer. He's like goes on a bunch of podcasts now, like Dauber Prospects podcast, and he was on the NHL one. You, you've heard him a lot. He's great. Cam, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Elon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very happy to have you here. You've been spending all weekend tweeting all about the expansion draft. Well, actually, no, tweeting all about the entry draft. I'm sure you've also had tweets about other things. You've been all over our Facebook group giving us updates, the patron-only Facebook group. So we're really lucky to have you here to break everything down. But it's almost like, to me, the entry draft is such a minor thing. Like, there's been so much that's happened in the past week. We had the whole Vegas expansion draft. We had a million big trades. And then, yeah, this entry draft. So we have a lot to get to. I think we could just try to knock out everything. We'll see how far we get. Let's do it. Okay, so before we start, let's mention that we are presented by the best fancy hockey website out there, DauberHockey.com. They've been all over all of us, of course, just like Cam. If you want an analysis of every single trade that's happened, it's great. You get these articles where they break down who was traded for who, who goes up in fancy value, who goes down not only the players who were involved in the trades, but also the other players on the teams. And Cam and I will try to get into those as well. So definitely you should check it out. And also they've got the guide, by the way, you could already pre-purchase your fantasy hockey guide they've got the prospects guide already out you could start preparing for your leagues by buying their other guides so everything's all there it's the site that you need to go to if you want to dominate in fantasy hockey so check it out dauberhockey.com okay cam let's start with the first fantasy hockey headline of the week i'm going in the order that i think is of importance i'm sure if it was up to you we'd be talking about the draft first but you know me i'm so into like fantasy value for next year but then once we get to the draft and then i'm probably going to bug you a lot about which players raised in value for next year like no these guys are for like two three years down the road and i'll have to pretend like i'm still interested in them but okay i'm rambling i'm excited sorry let's start with i think the biggest trade that happened in the last week a lot of big names have moved around but only one that has been ranked already in our patron rankings, which are already up to like above 50. But the one guy who's already been ranked that maybe now he gets bumped down a little bit. Number 25 for us. Number one in my heart for a long time. Hashtag Team Panarin. Artemi Panarin got traded. I didn't even know he was on the block. I, I was very surprised when I heard about this. Panarin traded to the Blue Jackets along with Tyler Mott and a sixth round pick 
for Brandon Saad and then Anton Forsberg and a fifth round pick. So the two big names here are, of course, Panarin for Brandon Saad. On the surface, to me, it seems like such a crazy trade for Chicago, right? In terms of a guy who plays fantasy hockey, the way I see it, you know, Panarin has played two seasons and he's put up 77 and 74 points in the past two years. Meanwhile, Saad seems to have settled into being like a 50 to 55 point guy. He put up 52 points in his last season with Chicago and then he's put up 53 in each of his seasons with Columbus. That's a huge difference. We're talking a 75 point guy versus a 55 point guy. Of course, there's more to hockey than just points, right? Yeah. So for us fantasy folks, that that is a lopsided trade. We would never want to make that deal from the uh, Chicago end. But I do understand what they were doing. Uh, they, they're trying to replace what Hosa can bring. Uh, so Saad's that big, strong, heavy body. He uh, can play a two-way game. And uh, he's also got a little more cost-effectiveness. They make the same amount of money, but uh, Panarin had two years left on his deal. Saad has four years left on his deal. So they're looking for a little more security long-term rather than potentially paying Panarin huge dollars in a couple of years. I still don't love the price they paid because you're right. Giving up a guy who can put up top 10 numbers offensively is a hefty price tag. At the same time, you know, Saad won two cups with them. Uh, they haven't won a playoff series since he left. Um, so, and Chicago loves to bring back former players. I heard uh, uh, some uh, some chatter at the draft that they are looking to bring back Patrick Sharp too for a, a little cheap one-year deal. So keep that on your radar. Well, he's a UFA. They should probably be able to get him for a lot cheaper than a guy like Artemi Panarin. Hopefully Patrick Kane isn't somehow going to get traded away. Yeah, Yeah. but also, you know, so yeah, it makes sense. In a couple of years, they're still going to have Saad on this, you know, relatively cheap deal compared to Panarin, who's probably going to need big bucks. But also, I guess Saad is a more defensive player. And also, he's really good at five on five. So this is something that I didn't think of. And I think I read this on the Dauber review of the trade. But Brandon Saad, he only had 53 points, like I said, but he actually ranked 11th in the league in even strength points. He only had four power play points, so that makes 49 even strength points. Obviously, the reason for him not getting more points is he wasn't on the Columbus top power play. There was a guy like Sam Gagne was there. Brandon Saad wasn't. So I'd imagine in terms of Saad's fantasy value for next year, maybe we can see a potential upgrade because if he's able to get so many even strength points, if he could still do that in Chicago, I guess playing alongside Jonathan Taves, but then also get on the top power play, which I think should be easier in Chicago. They don't have too many big horses for that job aside from Kane and I would say Panarin, who's gone. Marion Hosa's gone. Oh, we didn't even really mention Hosa's injured for next year. So that's a whole other discussion. And it's sad. And hopefully he'll play another game in the NHL. If not, you know, amazing Hall of Fame career, but not fantasy relevant anymore. Uh, Yeah. So I think Brandon Saad could be a nice sleeper pick for next year if he could get on that top power play and do as well at even strength. Are those two big ifs or do you think those are reasonable expectations for him? I think they're fairly reasonable expectations. Um, So I guess the game plan going in right now is to have Saad play with Taves. So take over that Hosa spot on that uh, quote unquote top line and Nick Schmaltz coming up to play with Kane and Anisimov. Now, what they were doing last year, uh, which really has dropped Jonathan Taves' fantasy value, is that they've split their top two units. Uh, So they basically ran their even strength lines out there as power play units with Kane's getting the dominant amount. So we'll see if they do that again next year and Taves and Saad are together on what, you know, I would consider the second power play unit, then maybe it's not a huge uptick for his power play points. But like you were saying, his even strength value this year was tremendous. Like, I don't think he recorded his first power play point until like January or February. Uh, He was seeing less than a minute and a half of uh, power play usage on the second unit there in Columbus, which... This sounds crazy, but their but their power play was so dominant for the first you know four or five months that you couldn't really change it up too much. So 
to be honest, I think Saad's probably going to live where he is. I think he's, uh, you know, about a 55 point guy, you know, maybe if the percentages go up and he does end up being on that top unit with Kane, uh, whoever plays with Patty Kane and Duncan Keith, basically that's the top unit. Uh, if he finds himself on that one, then, you know, 60 points could be realistic. Yeah. And especially if they decide to load up that top unit and maybe get Taves and Kane and Saad and Keith. And then I guess either Seabrook or someone like Richard Panic, who had some top power play time last year, like theoretically you could see a good situation for Saad, but of course you could also see him playing with Taves and then someone else that's not as good. And maybe he actually goes down in his even strength value because last year he was playing with who was it? Wenberg and Nick Foligno. And that, that was a very successful line. So Wenberg and Jonathan Taze, I don't know if maybe any splitting hairs of who's a better person to be playing with at this point for offensive production. Yeah. The, to be honest with you, like I would probably prefer Alexander Wenberg over, over Johnny Taves these days at even strength. Um, he was really relying on, on that top power play usage uh, to get his points. So uh, I'm not a huge Taves guy uh, for fantasy, but I, I think, he, you know, He'll, he'll do fine. He'll do fine in Chicago. I think he brings a lot of elements to real life uh, that Chicago's uh, desiring. Uh, but for fantasy, I think he's probably going to be right around where he was. I think the hype when he moved to Columbus and was going to be that guy with uh, Johansson, that, that uh, that's when his stock really went up. And so it's come back down to earth and the trade back to Chicago probably brings it back up a little bit. So um, I would hold steady and value him as about a 55 point guy in the, in the drafts next year. Yeah, that seems reasonable. I could see him getting to 60, you know, if, like you said, like if things kind of go well, if he gets that top power play time. Okay, so that's the Chicago side. Maybe we could come back to them in a second. They also made another trade, but we've got to talk about Panarin now going to Columbus. So my immediate reaction is that his value must take a hit, right? Because he'll no longer be playing with Patrick Kane, who's an elite offensive player in the league. But that said, I wouldn't be surprised to see him on line one with Wenberg. Actually, Tortorella already said he wants Wenberg to be playing with Artemi Panarin. And then maybe if Cam Atkinson could be on that right wing, that could be a pretty powerful line and then if he gets on the top power play which i'm sure he will he could just take gagne's spot since he's going to be a free agent so if he was on the top power play with like wenberg and atkinson and felino and zach Wierenski, like i'd say probably another 75 plus point season would be a lot to expect but i'd be very surprised if he was below 65 yeah i'd agree with that uh, that was the first thing that jumped into my mind was uh you know atkinson on the right side panarin on the left side with wenberg for some reason, Tortorella has shied away from putting Wenberg and Atkinson together, your best playmaker and your best shooter, um, outside of the, the power play. Um, so we'll see. Uh, a guy like um, uh, Nick Foligno or uh, Bjorkstrand might get that crack up on that top line with those two, and that could be a, a big boost for their value, especially Bjorkstrand. But you're right. I think I think he's he's such a dynamic offensive player. He he drives his own offense. Like Sure, he gets to play with Patty Kane, and, and Kane's ridiculous out there. Um, so he's probably not going to get up to that level where he's pushing 75, even 80 points. Um, but 65 seemed very reasonable to me. And, uh, you know, if he, if he hits 70 again next year, that wouldn't, that wouldn't completely surprise me. He's a really good player. Yeah. So I, it's going to be interesting in drafts next year to see where Panarin and Saad go. I'm sure Panarin will still go ahead of Saad, but maybe now they've both, you know, I'd still say, yeah, we're having Panarin at least at 65 and Saad is like 60 ceiling. So definitely you still want Panarin more in terms of offense, but it'll be interesting to see if Panarin like falls because people are worried about him on a new team or if he is like overrated because people just look back at his points in the last couple of years and maybe don't realize that he's not be playing with a Patrick Kane so okay those are the two players involved in the deal well, we'll get to the other players like Forsberg and Mott but I also want to look at other major players affected here so Patrick Kane you know we talk about Panarin losing Kane what about Kane losing Panarin like Kane had that 
over 100 point season a couple years ago when he won the Art Ross and last year had 89 points. Do we expect him to go down now that he loses this great winger? And you're saying Saad isn't even going to play with Patrick Kane. So that means he's going to be, like you said, with Anisimov and Schmaltz, which doesn't seem that exciting for Patrick Kane. Like maybe should we be downgrading him to like still an 80 point guy, which is still amazing, like a point per game. But do you think he could still get closer to 90, like 100 points when he's not playing with an elite player? Uh, no, I, I probably not. Uh, I think that that year when he got 106, there was definitely his career year. Um, last year getting 89 was terrific again, but playing with Panarin was kind of that launching pad for him. I think we should wait for the summer and see what else they do. Uh, there was a lot of talk that they were going to make a big push for TJ Oshie uh, to play across from Kane. Uh, that obviously isn't happening after Washington gave him all the years that they possibly could. So uh, Oshie will be an old man. He'll be playing with the Washington Capitals. Just a terrible deal. Um, but, uh, but so we'll see. Maybe they make a splash elsewhere and go and trade for a guy or sign a guy. They have to keep Hosa's money on the cap throughout the summer. They can't put him on long-term injury reserve until after the first game or the first week of the regular season. Uh, so they'll open up about five and a half million uh, cap space once that happens. So, you know, maybe early in the year they make a trade and they, they pick up an established player to play with them. Maybe they sign Patrick Sharp or they go after Justin Williams or they do something like that for someone who's a little more established who could uh, who could play with Kane but I think you know putting him in that point of game range is is still elite territory you know top five point getter and that's probably where he'll end up I think uh, if he's healthy obviously yeah so losing Panarin maybe if you have Kane in the keeper league you're a bit annoyed right now I'm sure Kane might be annoyed himself though apparently he asked for Assad to come back so how annoyed could he be uh Cam I don't know if you're also uh watching our chat room here we have a question from Michael asking Cam uh, any chance to bring it gets on a line with Kane to take Breadman's spot. So you're the prospect guy. I don't know anything about Dabrinkit, but could he potentially be a big fantasy producer next year? Because obviously anyone who plays with Patrick Kane is someone I'm looking at, if not in my draft and at the top of my free agent list. Yeah, it's funny. I was going to bring him up here in a minute. Is uh, Dabrinkit is just wildly talented. And so long as Quenville doesn't expect him to play defense, um, he could step into the NHL and be like a, a legitimate producer next year, um, especially if he's playing with Patty Kane. Now, Normally, you want to have a little uh, little kind of diversity on your line. Um, and Kane and Dabrinkit are, are kind of very similar players or small, but so was Panarin and Kane. Um, so I could see that if he if he has a good camp and he shows up ready, he could get a spot on that line um, and he could be a, a quick out-of-the-gate producer fantasy-wise. The things that he did in the OHL the last three years are just ridiculous. Three straight 50-plus goal seasons and just monster, monster point totals. Um, the guy can score. He's five foot seven, but who cares these days? Um, so yeah, I would be watching that very closely come training camp to see if they're giving him reps on that line. If he makes a team, obviously, I, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really interesting to see because if he does, uh, that's a player that you want to have on your roster. Okay. So listeners, if you're like me and you don't know much about the players who haven't already been playing in the NHL, you might want to take a piece of paper or take out your phone and start a list of players to keep an eye on for next year to bring it, put him on the list. We'll probably have a few others as we go guys that will be coming into the league or guys that haven't been fantasy producers yet that might be next year cam is the guy for that but okay so on the other side on columbus uh i'd assume wenberg since he's gonna be playing with panarin his value must go up right like he well i don't know on one hand i think he's playing with panarin he goes up on the other hand he had 59 points last year with some high percentages so maybe getting panarin as his line mate maybe that just sort of evens things out on his line mate by the way and on the top power play but you know if maybe the percentages go down and they don't score in as many shots as they take in their power play isn't as lethal in the first half maybe things balance out and wenberg could at least stay as a 59 point guy or do you think that's even still a bit too high for him 
No, I like Alex Winberg. I think he was uh, vastly underrated for a couple of years there. Um, he has tons of potential. I think he was like the 13th overall pick a few years back. He's very young. He's very skilled. Um, he looks kind of like a Nick Backstrom light to me. Uh, he has for a few years too. So yes, they were converting on an abnormally high amount of their shots on the power play for the first three or four months there. But he went pretty ice cold through the back a uh, couple of months too. Um, so I think that kind of evened out. Having Panarin, I think, will help him. I would not be surprised at all to see him hit 65 this year. Um, he's oh, the type wow. of player, yeah, he's the type of player that could that could come up. Now, this is all, you know, if everything clicks, right? So so we don't know how they're going to mesh well together, but two really skilled guys, and he's a, a pure distributor, and, you know, Panarin could score 30, 35 next year, and he'd be getting a ton of assists on that too. So, uh, yeah, I like Wenberg. I got a buddy in my pool who's got Debrinkat and Wenberg, and so he's loving these trades. Yeah, and so are you going to rip him off at some point, as you do with all the people in your league? I'll give it a try anyways. <laughs> and I guess maybe to round out uh, this line, if it's Panarin and Wenberg, the third guy, like I said, is probably also going to have a lot of value. We'd assume Atkinson, like he sounds like a top line right winger, but do you have any sleepers? Like I know every year we talk about Oliver Bjorkstrand as a guy who might just break out. And obviously if he could get on a line with Panarin and Wenberg, that would be amazing for him. I wonder if he might be worth keeping an eye on in training camp, just like you were saying about Debrinket on Chicago. Yeah, even more so with Bjorkstrand. Obviously, the hype was big coming out of that huge AHL run that he had the year before. Um, everybody knows that Tortorella played with his dad. He really likes him. But he didn't show very well early and got sent down to the minors. Didn't have a great year in the minors either. Got brought back up. Did pretty well. Tortorella was quoted saying that this is a big offseason for him. And he's got to come back ready uh, to prove that he can be a consistent scorer in this league. So hopefully he takes that to heart because Tortorella only gives so many chances. Uh, so if he can do it and he gets his opportunity, that's another player I'd definitely be watching in training camp and, and early on in the season. If he can stick on that line or and wedge his way onto that top power play unit, which I, I doubt, but if he can play even strength on that top line, then that'd be that'd be pretty big for him. He could be a guy who could get, you know, 45, 50 points, which is a good depth player for you anyways, with a lot of upside. Yeah, for sure. If you could get a floor around 45, 50, then with the upside for more, that's definitely someone worth looking at. And okay, then we have Tyler Mott going to Columbus. I feel like that can't be good for him. Maybe you know more about him than I do. I feel like there's no space in the top six or on the top power play for him. So I can't see him being more than like, or actually, I'll just say like just a non-valuable player in fantasy next year. Do you have any disagreement there? Uh, he, he had a sniff of being potentially valuable last year only because he was in Chicago and it was like, somebody's got to play in this top six and it ended up being Richard Panic. But uh, yeah, in Columbus, I, I see him as a complimentary kind of middle six uh, kind of grinding forward. He, he's a decent prospect. So in real life going over there, he, he's, a, he's a pretty good player. Um, but yeah, fantasy wise, I don't see it too much. Okay, and then we have, oh man, it's already been almost 20 minutes. We're only on the first trade and I want to get through so much. <laughs> Sorry, I, I can't help it. I got all these questions. Yeah. Uh, okay, then we've got Anton Forsberg. He'll probably be now the backup for Crawford in Chicago since they traded away Darling before he was going to be a free agent. So Darling had stretches of being valuable last year. So maybe Forsberg has upside to have similar value. Like on the other hand, of course, we have to kind of talk about Chicago overall when we're talking about their goalies because they made this trade. They also traded Hijal Marson to Arizona, which Ian in our patron-only Facebook group said is the worst trade he's ever seen in his life that's how bad of a trade he thinks it is for Chicago so if you combine that with them also losing Panarin and then Hosa also being gone I wonder like is having a goal like you know Crawford first of all is having Crawford as valuable as it used to be like, Chicago was the top team in the west last year and now we're talking about them as potentially being really damaged maybe people don't even want their goalies but Anton Forsberg as a backup and I just wanted to mention him curious to know overall like what do you think about Chicago for next year and do you think having a goalie on Chicago is as valuable as it once was I think the time to sell Crawford was probably two weeks ago. 
Um, losing Charmelson will hurt. He is a top-notch defensive defenseman. Um, I also, like Ian, did not like that trade. I didn't I didn't understand it. Yeah, they got Connor Murphy, who's, again, an, a guy who's signed long-term, but he has you know no offensive upside, really, um, and he's not nearly as good defensively as Charmelson. So that trade didn't make any sense to me, um, and it will hurt their goaltenders. Anton Forsberg, um, you know, he, he's okay. He's had some good uh, numbers in the AHL, but in 10 career NHL games, he's like a 880 save percentage guy. I would have really no interest in him unless Crawford went down long-term and you needed a goalie and you wanted to take a swing. Um, but I don't, I don't think Chicago is going to be that dominant uh, team like they have been for the last decade. Again, let's wait and see what the summer brings, if they can add some pieces and do some things. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I have no interest in Anton Forsberg. And I think they're a playoff team. Um, you know, maybe they're a wildcard team. Maybe they're in, uh, they're one of the, the, the third place in their uh, division or something like that. But, uh, yeah, they're probably not going to be that high octane team that they uh, they haven't in the past. Right. So a playoff team, if you could have a starting goalie on a playoff team, is still pretty good. But Crawford probably falls into a tier with a bunch of other guys that that are similar. You know, like your Jake Allen's and your and your Renes. I don't know. Like I always felt before that Crawford was sort of a level above just because he's a pretty good goalie on like a really good team. And now he's like a pretty good goalie on a good team, I guess. So they also, by the way, lost Trevor Van Riemsdyk in expansion. So their defense right now, they're falling. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. So we talked about this trade, Jean Marcin for Connor Murphy and Laurent Dolphin as a prospect guy. Any thoughts on Laurent Dolphin? Is there, is there anything to him or is it basically Jean Marcin for Murphy? Yeah. Not, not too much fantasy wise for Dolphin. All right. Yeah. So maybe then let's switch over to Arizona, who gets this really amazing defensive defenseman. And that's not the only move that Arizona made, right? They also made this big trade with the Rangers, where they acquired Antti Ranta and Derek Stepan for Anthony D'Angelo and the seventh overall pick in the draft, who ended up being Leos Anderson, who you probably know a lot more about than me. But let's forget about that. Let's just focus on Arizona first. And to me, it looks like they've had a really good week. Like, all of a sudden, they have now a number one center in Derek Stepan. They have three really good defensemen now, because they have Hajal Marcin, and they already had Goligoski and Oliver ekman Larson. Now they have a goalie who is obviously someone you could rely on a little bit more than Louis Domingue. I guess Ranta has never been a starter in the league, but he has had stretches on the Rangers when Lungfist was injured and that he held up pretty well. Of course, it's very different playing for the Rangers and playing for the Arizona Coyotes. But also we've been talking about, I feel like all over these episodes, and it'll be great to have you here to confirm or deny, but it seems like Arizona has such a great group of prospects with the Clayton Keller and Dylan Strom and like even Max Domi, you know, hasn't broken out yet. And like, you know, I'm sure you'll tell me a bunch more that you think maybe Christian DeVore I don't know. Like, it just seems like Arizona now that they've made these trades. They're and you know they traded the draft pick. They traded uh, you know a really young prospect like Anthony D'Angelo. That makes me think they're done with like tanking and trying to get draft picks, and they're trying to be a contending team this year. So, uh, what's my question here? I don't know. Overall, what do you think about what Arizona has done? Do you think they're a better team? Oh yeah, without a doubt, they're a better team. Charmelson alone makes them a better team. Um, being able to keep the puck out of your net is going to be huge. I'm sure Mike Smith wish, wishes a guy like him was around for all those years he was there. Anti Ranta, uh, like you were saying, he's never been a starter, so he's got to do that. Uh, he's got to show me that he can do it. But uh, he's he's a he's a good player. He's put up good numbers. I think he'll be an adequate fantasy goaltender if you need one this year. Um, I'd have Scott Darling ahead of him for newbies uh, getting the role. But uh, also getting Derek Stepan. I'm not a huge Derek Stepan guy myself, but he is a, an obvious upgrade for them. He can be a veteran center right down uh, in the first line for them. And like you're saying, they have a ton of young skilled guys coming up. Um, so Strom and Keller and Christian Fisher, and um, they, they have like loads of guys um, on the back end. They got Kyle Wood, a big booming defenseman who's put up a ton of points in the AHL is going to be coming up one of these days too. trading that seventh overall pick. 
uh, I didn't love, but I know that they wanted to get some stuff there. They need to be better. They, they only have one year left on their lease, I think, in Arizona. So they need to sell it to the fans that they can actually improve and not just continually be a bottom feeder and build that talent up. Um, so, and Anthony D'Angelo can't play defense. So, you know, he's a, he's a great puck mover. He can put up lots of points, but he can't play in his own end. And that hasn't happened. Uh, and he has character issues in the past. I'm not sure if that's still following him today, but that was one of the reasons that Tampa Bay moved him in the first place. Um, so I think that trade was good for them overall. I think Derek Steppen probably continues about where his value is, you know, 55, 60 points, but he's going to help those wingers. So if he's playing with Max Domi, I like that. I like that for Domi to take a step this year. I'd like him to take a step this year before uh, that trade too. Uh, Clayton Keller, it'll be interesting. He's a natural center, but I, I predicted that he'd be on the wing to start his career as most guys do, especially smaller guys. So if he can wedge his way onto that first line too, that would be big for him. I penciled him in for about 40 points next year. If he's playing top line, top power play unit with Stepan and Domi, um, you know, he could be pushing 55 next year too as a rookie. Uh, he's a dynamic player. Okay, so then, all right, you're saying Stepan, you're keeping it around 50, 55 points. So uh, let's just give a quick recap about Derek Stepan, right? So he's been the top line center, maybe arguably last year, but anyways, for the Rangers for the past few years. And he's basically put up between 53 and 57 points in each of the last four seasons. He's right around there, basically a 55-point guy. I would think, again, on the surface, a lot of these trades, like sort of I had my initial thought and then sort of I thought about it more, maybe changed my mind a little bit. But at first, you know, you would think, oh man, big downgrade for Stepan. Like he was playing with Zuccarello and Kreider. Now he's going to be playing with these Arizona bums. But then, of course, like you said, like if he's playing with Domi and if Clayton Keller is as great as everyone seems to say that he is, then all of a sudden that could be really good for him. Also, Stepan played on the top power play on the Rangers, but it was like, they really split it. Like if you look on the Dauber profile for him, he played 53% of his team's power play time. So it was almost 50-50 on Arizona. I'd assume they'll just play the top power play with Oliver Ekman, Larson and friends, you know, for a lot of the time. So I would expect an increase in power play time for Stepan. So overall, maybe maybe you're right that we can say he should at least be able to stay where he is. And I also, I don't know, maybe I'm being optimistic. I think he could potentially get up to 60 points if he plays the full season and if he's on the top line, top power play the whole time and, and things go, well, that's a lot to ask for. But I don't, I don't think it's impossible. What do you think then in terms of who's going to be their leading scorer next year? Would you say Max Domi? Uh, no, I'd, I'd probably say Stepan is going to be their leading scorer. Um, a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, I don't have it offhand, but <clears throat> Stepan was pushing close to a point a game. He was just injured all the time. So, you know, he's getting 55 points in 60 odd games sort of thing. So he does have that skill. I think, uh, I think Domi's ready to push up into the, into that 55 point level himself, but, uh, I'll kind of wait to see him break out, uh, further, but I'd, I'd expect Stepan to be their leading scorer. But you're right. I think that top power play unit, they'll just run them out there as much as they can. They don't they don't really have the depth to to have a, a full second unit split it. They'll probably have Dvorak and, a, and some young guys. And maybe if they resign Verbata on their second unit, but negligible stuff. Oh, well, Verbata was actually pretty fantasy relevant for most of last year. It would be interesting if they sign him also. I guess they still have some money left. They are an interesting team. And then Ranta, okay, so just to really quickly recap, he had a 922 save percentage last year. Like we said, we haven't seen him as a starter. I think it's fun how Chicago's, both of their backups recently, are now going to be starters on new teams in Darling and Ranta. And you were saying that you like Darling better than Ranta. What if we give the whole ranking? So Brian, last episode, he was looking at all the goalies who have moved and are now going to be starters on new teams. And he ranked Bishop, then Darling, who he said could be close to Bishop, then Mike Smith. And you're saying that you have Ranta uh, below Darling. Assuming you agree with Brian's list going into this, like who would you rather have between Anti Ranta and Mike Smith for next year? Because Calgary, by the way, has improved their defense. They got Travis Hamnick. Some people think that they gave up too much for him, like a lot of draft picks. But regardless, for fantasy wise, 
for next year anyways calgary should have a stronger defense like they have actually a pretty nice top four if you if you think about it with hamilton brody giordano and now travis hamannick so i would think that's good for mike smith but of course everyone's already saying oh mike smith uh, he's so old he's not good and like brian is one of them and and so who would you want now? You have Antti Ranta, who's never been a starter, and he's on Arizona, but maybe has upside. You have Mike Smith, who's really old, but he's on a, you know a better team. Who would you go between the two? Uh, if I'm trying to compete, it's Mike Smith, no question. Calgary's going to be a better team, um, and they have a better defensive core, um, and he's more proven. You know, he's put up big numbers in the past. Yeah, he's old, and yeah, he can blow up and, and snap a stick on on the post every now and again. But um, I definitely want Mike Smith if I was in a one year league or if I was trying to compete this year. Uh, Ranta, he, like I said before, he's got to show it. Arizona is going to be a good team. They have that kind of talent uh, that they could be a real upstart team similar to the Oilers minus McDavid. But uh, yeah, I'd I'd go uh, that same rankings is how I'd see it too. Bishop, Darling, I don't think Bishop's going to light the world on fire in Dallas, to be honest, but I think uh, think he's probably that first guy on the list. And then I think Scott Darling's going to surprise some people in Carolina. They have a really good defensive core too. Um, He's put up really strong numbers. He's a big guy. He's technically strong. He should get all the workload. Um, So I, I like Darling right up there with Bishop though. Okay, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun seeing all these new goalies in, on new teams. And it'll be really fun also later on in the summer. We'll do our Schmore Goalies Borg episode and Brian will give us all of his tiers. I see a lot of goalies all clumped together in the same tier. So we'll, we'll get into it later on. Uh, okay, one other player I want to mention on Arizona, who I don't want anyone to forget about, though I would love maybe my fellow competitors to forget about him, especially those in the Kakuffle who are probably going to be listening. Kakuffle, by the way, is the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. I get a little bit distracted and excited when I start talking about it. But Oliver Ekman. Larson, who we brought up as a disappointing player last season, considering what the expectations were going in. I think he's probably going to fall in a lot of drafts, but things are looking pretty good for him. If now he has Derek Stepan on that top power play, and it looks like Arizona's trying to compete, I feel like all the stars are aligning for Oliver Ekman Larson to have a bounce back. He already was probably in line for a bounce back just due to like, you know, low percentages and some bad luck, though he was shooting less. Hopefully he could get those shots up a little bit, but he only had 39 points last year. The year before he had like 55 so I see him definitely getting above 39, and I feel like there's a lot of upside there. Don't let Oliver ekman Larson fall too far in your drafts. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was just trying to pull ekman Larson in a trade, but the guy wants Keller in return, so that's not going to happen for me. But no, uh, he had a lot. Yeah. I, would, I would take ekman Larson over Keller. Yeah, I'm in a keeper league, though, right? For how long How long do you expect this league to go? How old is ekman Larson? Like 25 years old? Yeah, Clayton Keller is going to be incredible. Like he's he's got he's got the skills to be a top five point producer in a few years here. Like he's dynamic. You 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 get excited about Clayton Keller. I'm excited about Clayton Keller, but I mean Oliver Ekman Larson has the skills to be a top five defenseman in the league, and he might already be there compared to Clayton Keller, who's going to have to work his way up. How many D men really impact fantasy for my league, anyways? Like the the really elite guys. There's only three of them, and you know Chris Letang if he's ever healthy. Everybody else kind of falls into that range where you know even if they get 50 points, like that's pretty good. But forwards are worth a lot more. So for yeah. me, but I think I, I, I'm like you. I think OEL is going to have a nice bounce back. He had that thumb injury that was keeping his shot down. Verbato was taking a lot of shots on the power play too. So if that changes up, he'll probably be the trigger man again. Um, you know, he had the issues with his mom, was sick back home. And and um, so I, I think he's he's primed for a year where he could break 50 again. He's a great player. And I think Arizona's on the upswing. I would like him. I just don't want to pay Clayton Keller. 
Yeah, that's fair. Also, I forgot you're in one of those leagues where you don't play everyone in your roster. Like you set a weekly lineup. So I think in a league like that, you're always going to have good defensemen available to you to play. I feel like in most leagues, you know, if you're in a league like the Cupful, where let's say you have four D-man spots, maybe you're going to hold five or six defensemen on your team. Then, you know, that last defenseman, there's a big difference between if you have someone like Oliver ekman Larson or some free agent guy. So defensemen can be worth a lot just based on value over replacement. I understand for your league that a defenseman maybe doesn't make a big deal because you only really care about your like top two or three defensemen on your team unless there's an injury uh okay uh i guess quickly let's go to the rangers i also have to do an ad oh my goodness okay <laughs> let's go to the rangers uh i guess the bandage ad is the top center now yeah. which is cool for him he got injured last year and so he missed some time so probably his value was already pretty low but i feel like this could be a really good situation for mika zibanejad if he's playing with Kreider and zuccarello or maybe nash i don't know maybe nash is over the hill at this point yeah. anyways i would assume that we should expect a decent season out of zibanejad definitely don't forget about him then i guess who is the second line center kevin hayes yeah kevin hayes i guess um who had some like pretty unsustainable numbers last year I think I got something written down here. Yeah, he had only seven power play points. Uh, just saw a minute and a half on the second unit. Uh, so 42 even strength points. But he was shooting at uh, something like 12%, which is pretty pretty high for him. His five on five, his even strength shooting percentage was over 10. He was only starting 40% of his shifts in the in the offensive zone too, which was kind of killing him. I think he was like a 45% Corsi guy. So in the years before that, he was seeing like 60% offensive zone start time. So it's kind of, we'll see if he's getting a ton of offensive opportunities. He's starting in the offensive uh, zone. His numbers could kind of hover where they were if the numbers go down a bit. If he can ride that wave and if he's a 12, 13% shooter, uh, then I like him to be a, a 50 point guy, uh, kind of a steady 50, 55 point guy. Uh, same as Zabinijad, though. So I don't think he's that much of an upgrade on Stepan in that situation. Um, so I'd, I'd pencil him in for 50 55. Yeah, I mean, they definitely have a lot of depth. And I feel like I hear you with Zabinijad. I feel like with him, maybe his ceiling doesn't go up that much. Like maybe he's still a guy who we should probably expect 55 points from. But now I think his floor has gone up a lot. Like it's very unlikely that he'll be below like 50 points since he's going to be the top line, top power play center i'd be surprised i don't see how that could happen that he could be like a sub 50 point guy yeah yeah i'd, I'd say his, his floor has risen for sure yeah and then okay the rangers d so they get d'angelo last year mcdonough led the way for the rangers he had 42 points 15 on the power play brady shea had a really nice rookie season putting up 39 points so i wonder if d'angelo like somehow bumps shea's value in like you know in the type of league where shea would be a keeper someone you might want to draft late as a guy who could potentially get you like 40 points or of course maybe the whole conversation is moot and we should just save it because maybe the rangers are going to sign kevin shattenkirk and then it won't really matter what happens with brady shea and d'angelo they'll all be not too valuable yeah, I think D'Angelo is the highest potential player that they have in their system right now on the back end, that he could be a guy that everything if everything fell right, he could be a 50-point defenseman, but uh, you know, a lot of things have to go right there. Uh, McDonough is the guy that I would want um and I wouldn't I wouldn't sell the the moon to get him. Um Brady Shea had a had a great rookie season with those 39 or 40 points where they have, but I it's strange to say about a rookie, but I see that as about his ceiling. Um he's not a pure offensive guy. He made he had a lot of secondary assists last year, which are tough to project going forward. I think he, he's an okay depth player, but I expect him to have less points this coming season. Okay, so if it's going to be like less points or like a 40-point ceiling, and then also combine that with the fact that he doesn't take too many shots and he doesn't help you in too many peripherals. So Brady Shea, not especially valuable in fantasy, especially if he might be knock down the depth chart going into next year okay before we continue let's take a moment to thank the sponsor of this week's episode and those are our friends over at SeatGeek. 
Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there's a better and simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. It's the smartest, easier way to get tickets to live events. And with SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. You guys know what it's like. You go to a site, you want to buy a ticket, and then, you know, there might be other charges that you weren't expecting, and then they come in at the end. Also, you know, you have a hard way of knowing if it's actually a good value because you just see a price with SeatGeek. They let you know the value of the ticket compared to what that seat would normally go for. It's a really good experience. Check it out. You know, Arizona, by the way, I was going to say, actually, I was thinking, I was like to give an example of something related to what we're talking about. And Arizona seems like a great team now that you might want to go to a game to. But then I read on the news that everything is melting in Arizona because it's so hot and like the dumpsters are melting. So I don't know, probably by the winter time when hockey starts. Maybe wait for January and then go see a Coyotes game. If you are interested in checking out SeatGeek, if you have any events you want to go to, how about an additional $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase if you use the offer code KEEPING, K-E-E-P-I-N-G, at checkout. SeatGeek will send you a $20 rebate check after your first purchase. So check it out. SeatGeek, be a geek, get a seat. All right, so we've got Cam here. I want to get his thoughts on the draft because that's his expertise, but there's still a couple more really big trades that it would just be insane for us not to cover. So let's just do it. Let's go to the next trade. We have to talk with the Islanders, who also have been really busy, like a lot like Arizona, just making moves almost every day. So first, like at the start of the week, the Islanders made a deal with Vegas where they gave them Grabowski and a first round pick in exchange for laying off all the good players that they left exposed. And they were able to get Vegas to take J.F. Berube, which I personally think is kind of funny because I know Brian talked about how perplexed he was all season long that they didn't want to drop Berube because they were afraid he would get taken. And so they ran with three goalies for a lot of the year. But now finally Berube is gone. So I don't want to get into the Islanders goaltending because that's only the first thing they did. Then they made a huge trade. They traded one of those players who they left exposed, Ryan Strome, to the Oilers for Jordan Everly. So Everly finally gets moved, and he's a guy we've talked about all season long as being a disappointment last year. We have to talk about his fantasy value now as a New York Islander. But anyways, to finish the story about the Islanders, then they traded Travis Hamanick to the Flames, like we said. But okay, let's start where the most fantasy value lies, most likely. We have to talk about Jordan Everly joining the New York Islanders. This has to be huge for Everly, right? We've talked about all season how his 51 points was a huge disappointment. But that said, he was down to less than 17 minutes a game of time on ice last year with the Oilers when he was like, you know, closer to 18, 19 in previous years. His shooting percentage was a career low 9.8 when he has a 12.6 average. And he didn't get to play on the top power play. So a lot, there's a lot of reasons to explain why Eberle only got 51 points. And one good thing about his season is he took the most shots ever of his career, 205. So again, I'm going to give you a bunch of ifs here, but if Eberle plays with John Tavares on the top line and on the top power play, which I think is very reasonable, he could take Strom. Strom was on the top power play last year. So why can't Eberle just take in and take his spot? So if Eberle gets to play with Tavares on the top line and top power play, if he gets more minutes, and if you're playing with John Tavares, you're probably going to get more minutes because Tavares plays a lot. And if he could get luckier with his shooting percentage, I feel like it's not a stretch to say that Jordan Everly can get back to 60 points and maybe even closer to 65. Like he had 63 and 65 points in 2014, 15 and 13, 14. So I'm going back a couple of years, but it's not like a million years ago. And it's a good situation for him. Of course, sometimes I get a little bit too optimistic about these deals. And, you know, maybe some people were getting excited like this about Andrew Ladd going to the Islanders last year when we all saw how that turned out. But I think Jordan Everly is probably a better shot to do well than an aging Andrew Ladd? Yeah, oh, for sure. I think uh, the thing to remember, a couple things to remember just to not to be a wet blanket or anything, but 
Oftentimes when guys get traded to a new team and you project that they're going to have these monster seasons, there's a bit of a transition for, for, you know, even half the season or a full year before they can really get going. Um, that might not be the case. I do think it's a better situation for Everlake because they are going to, they're going to put them and they're going to hopefully force them to be uh, working with Tavares. Now Tavares doesn't work with everybody. He doesn't work that well with everyone. Um, we've seen in the past that Ocposo was great with them. Uh, PA Parento was great with them, but not everyone that they brought in has worked. Um, so I do expect it to be a good situation for Everly. I do expect him to be on the top unit, on the top power play, to have a better season. I think it was a win of a trade for the Islanders. I, I guess I understand it from Evans' point of view. They wanted to move some salary, but I would have probably been happier to get like a defensive prospect and a pick than to get Ryan Strom, who's kind of a player that we know what he is. Um, his ceiling is far lower than Jordan Everlay's. He's never scored 20 goals, and Everlay only scores 20 goals. Like He just consistently does it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I like it for the Islanders. I also think uh, with them moving Hamannick and they've got some cash, that uh, Shattenkirk could be a dark horse going there. Yeah, and that would probably also be good for Everly's value if all of a sudden this top power play has Shattenkirk and Tavares, like these two guys who are going to get you a lot of power play points if Everly's right there, and then you throw in like Anders Lee, that could be good for a lot of people. Probably one person who doesn't benefit from Everly going to the Islanders is Josh Bailey, who I'd imagine is going to get bumped from that top line. I liked An- Anders Lee there. Maybe I'm being too optimistic about Anders Lee, but I like the idea of him staying with Tavares and Jordan Everly and forming this like, really nice line of offensive contributors. Do you think that that's the most likely situation to have Lee Eberly Tavares on the top line? Yep, I do for sure. Um, I really like Anders Lee. I'm not a huge power forward guy uh, for fantasy, despite that's the position I played when I was uh, trying to be a a player, but um, uh, he was clicking at really high percentages last year though. Like I think he doubled his shooting percentage up to close to 18% last year. Um, so that's going to be difficult to replicate. He does score a lot of his goals in close. Um, so that's obviously easier to get tippins and, and, and tappins and things like that. Um, but I think it'll be an improvement for him too, because his the winger on the other side is going to be a better player and, and Everlay's a distributing winger too. So Lee should be a trigger man and he'll be that net front presence on the power play. So I think he could, uh, he, he could be a, a 50 plus point guy on a consistent basis. He'll be the third straw, but, uh, but I think, uh, I think Lee can do well. I know Steve Laidlaw was talking about it, the managing editor over there at Dauber prospects. He's been pumping Lee's tires for years now. He's a big Anders Lee fan. Um, so, and I, I, uh, I listen when Laidlaw is talking like that. Yeah. Yeah. Steve's awesome. He was on an episode recently. Brian and I were also really big on Anders Lee for a while. Cause I feel like in his rookie year, I think it was, he was like getting all these shots on goal and you know me, I'm a sucker for shots on goal because they are something you could rely on. Even if the pucks aren't going in, that's helping you in fantasy. And plus the more shots a player takes, the more goals he's likely to score. So yeah, if uh, he slowed down on the shots a little bit, but obviously last yeah. year he was great once he was on the top line of top power play with John Tavares. So it's interesting if the Islanders also signed Shattenkirk, that's definitely telling John Tavares, we want you to stay. So obviously they also want to try to get him to say okay so we talked about josh bailey potentially being hurt since you're a prospects guy you know about all these young players the islanders have some of these guys they've got barzil and bovillier and hosang uh michael dalcole uh like is there a specific guy on the team that you see going to break out next year for their prospects like i think josh hosang's probably got a really good shot to make the team and, and to stick around in that middle six on the wing and he could put up some good points he's a pretty dynamic player if he can keep it all going in the right direction um, Matt Barzell though is he's really really good I think he's their future 2C behind Tavares and he'll run their second power play unit early on and they might end up pushing him up in a few years but uh, long term Barzell's a, a really high impact player I think not so sold on Michael Dalcole the skating just hasn't really come along he's 
he'll probably be a complimentary guy if he if he does bring it. And uh, Bouvier is a, another really good player who compares really well to like Claude Giroux's early uh, career numbers. So in junior and uh, and to step into the league like that, he's a really talented player. But I think he's going to be stuck behind some some other good players too. So I don't see him being a huge fantasy guy. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be hard for any player on the Islanders, not on the top line or top power play to produce. Just we haven't seen it happen for a while. I guess when Nielsen was there, he was able to do it as a second line center. So obviously this will be the kind of thing where we'll have to watch during training camp and see who's going to make the team, who's going to be potentially on the second line. And then maybe we could have a new discussion. We'll definitely talk about it in our Facebook group. By the way, guys who are listening, if you're not a patron of Keeping Carlson, you could get Cam's advice all the time because he's always in the Facebook group giving really great advice. So uh, I'll just uh, plug out right right now, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Uh, okay, so we have Strom going to the Oilers. You already mentioned that you're not a huge fan of him. I feel like his value must go up by default just because he doesn't seem to be clicking on the Islanders. Like last year, he ended with 30 points in 69 games, even though he saw top power play minutes. So I don't know. It was really disappointing. So I guess he could potentially stay the same and just end up doing nothing. But at the same time, the Oilers traded Jordan Everly for him. I feel like they should at least give him a chance. Is there any chance that like Strom could strike gold and play on McDavid's wing next year, along with Dreisaitl, maybe bumping Pat Maroon? Or are there like other players that are more likely to get there, like maybe a Pugliarvi? Yeah, I, I guess there is a chance that he could work on the wing with McDavid. I think it's more likely that he ends up on the wing with Nugent Hopkins. I think Dreisaitl takes that two C position. He plays on the second line and they, and they run two deep lines. Um, they might go to the nuclear option like the Blackhawks do and they pair him up uh, him and McDavid every now and again, if they need a goal or, but I think long-term that's a better situation for them. And they, they probably saw that in the playoffs when they, they split them up and dry settle can handle himself and can drive play on his own. Um, so I, yeah, Strom 30 points. He's, he's probably better than that, but I don't see too much more than 20 goals and 50 points um, as his top end. I think uh, Pugliarvi is going to get a nice long look up on that uh, top six again. We'll see if he's ready for it, but long-term, he's the guy that should be sliding in next to McDavid. Yeah, so I get the feeling Strom could end up being the type of guy that gets mentioned a lot on Keeping Carlson next year, because all season long, we'll probably be discussing as someone comes on and off of Connor McDavid's line, then their value goes from being really high to really low very quickly. So Ryan Strom could be that guy, just like Pat Maroon was last year. I guess since we're on the Oilers, maybe we should mention they re-signed Chris Russell to a four-year deal for $16 million. Twitter exploded. People are not happy about this. Oilers fans, you're shaking your head here, Cam. Guys, you got to join us for the live experience. You could see a really disappointed Cam when I mentioned this press wrestle deal. All I'll say about this, and then you could go ahead and say what you want. You can't do any better than Chris Russell in fantasy if you're looking for blocks. He led the league in blocks last year, even though he missed a lot of time. Eric Carlson came close. That's what I was going to say. He came close, but he was injured, actually, at the end of the year. I don't even know. I think that Russell probably would have caught him, even if Carlson didn't get injured. But anyway, maybe Russell's not very good at defense. But in terms of fantasy, now we've seen... You know, whenever a blocks guy goes to a new team, you have to be a little bit concerned that maybe he's not going to be in the same role. So now, you know, we've seen that Russell can put up a lot of blocks on the Oilers, and now we know he's going to be there for four years. So if your league counts blocks, that's a nice, reliable option for you. That's all I'll say. Now you could talk about maybe how this is a horrible move for the Oilers, and they're dumb to spend so much money on him. Yeah, they're dumb to spend so much money on him. Okay. But I just, they traded Everlade to create cap space, and then they just wasted the cap space, cap space on Chris Russell. So... Peter Torelli. Good job, buddy. (laughs) 
Okay, and then I guess before we get to the last major fantasy relevant trade, there's still another one, and then we'll get to all this other stuff, I promise. Okay, I want to circle back quickly to the Islanders who also traded Travis Hamanick to Calgary. So actually, you've kind of said now that uh, Shattenkirk could potentially go to the Islanders, and that could blow up anything that we would talk about. I know that last year going into the season, a lot of people were talking about Ryan Pulak as someone who could potentially make the team and bump Nick Letty from the top power play. Assuming Shattenkirk doesn't go to the Islanders, do you think there's a chance of that happening next year? Could Ryan Pulak be a sleeper that will end up playing on the top power play with Tavares and Eberle and company? Uh, potentially. I like Ryan Pulak. I, I took him in my draft last year thinking that he he might have an, an outside shot of cracking that lineup and being on that top power play unit. But uh, obviously he spent the entire year in the minors after hurting himself early. He's got a big shot. He's a, he's a power play guy. He, he can do it. But I think they trust Nick Letty. He's more of a puck mover. Um, Pulak's kind of that one-timer guy. He'll probably end up on the team this year. He should end up on the team this year. I don't think he's waiver eligible. Um, he'll probably be on the second power play unit. If he gets 30 points, I think that's a big win. But I don't, uh, I don't see him being a dynamic point producer in fantasy uh, next year anyways, or probably the foreseeable future. Okay, so basically all he could do is be a buzzkill for Nick Letty owners, but he won't actually be too exciting himself. So obviously if Shattenkirk goes there, that's huge, and you want to definitely grab him in your fantasy leagues because I would love that top power play with Shattenkirk. You love pretty much any top power play with Shattenkirk. That's his bread and butter. But okay, we'll talk about that if and when it happens. I guess July 1st. Well, our next step, what are, I guess I can get into the schedule really quickly. Brian and I are going to be doing a patron cast, something like July if I should have had this prepared, I think July 9th. So we're going to take next Sunday off. It's like Canada Day weekend. And then the following Sunday, we'll be back with another regular episode where we'll talk about all the crazy free agency that happens on July 1st. I assume there's going to be a lot of big signings and that'll be fun. But okay, we still got big things here. One more trade. Okay, Cam, and then we'll finally get into expansion and then the actual draft. We got to talk about the St. Louis Blues acquiring Braden Shen from Philly in exchange for Yori Lettera and uh, 27th overall pick in the draft. They took Morgan Frost and a conditional 2018 first round pick. So... I guess a pretty decent return. I don't know. With draft picks, like you never know. You probably know better than me. What do you think? Quick, thumbs up or thumbs down on Morgan Frost? Yeah, I thought Frost was underrated. He was pegged to be a second rounder, but he's really, really speedy, kind of a crafty player. Um, long, long, long wait. He's got some developing to do. He's can play a little bit on the outside, doesn't drive into the into the tough areas of the ice enough for my liking, but uh, he's a good player. He's really, really quick. Um, so I, I, I'm okay with that pick for them. Okay. Uh, overall, I think if, if Shen ends up getting a play with Tarasenko, obviously that's a big win for him. He does rely on power play points a ton uh, to get his offense driving, and Philadelphia's had a good uh, power play for a lot of years. Last year, I think they were, uh, I wrote it down here somewhere, Philly was 14th in the league and St. Louis was 8th. So maybe that's an increase for him. But my question is, is are they going to put him out there for three and a half, four minutes like the Flyers did? Yeah, well, I I would be concerned for Shen just because if he's going to get on the top power play, which I'm sure he will, like if you trade for a guy who gets a majority of, of his points on the power play, I feel like you put him there. But at the same time, he would have to bump someone like uh, Schwartz or Steen or like like it was gonna last year they generally had Stasny, Schwartz, Steen, Tarasenko, and then I guess Shattenkirk and then Piet Rangelo. Sorry, Brian gets so mad at me if I say Piet. Brian's not here. I can do what I want. Piet <laughs> Rangelo, who by the way, I think is a good sleeper for next year. If St. Louis isn't gonna replace Shattenkirk, Piet Rangelo had such a great end of the season once Shattenkirk was gone. He was already really valuable in fantasy, not as a top power play defenseman. So don't forget about Alex Piet Rangelo. But okay, we're talking about St. Louis. Anyways, you would think maybe Paul Stasny's the easy guy to get bumped. He's not such an offensive guy, but I was reading actually it was the Dauber recap. Or this trade, 
And it was saying how Stasny takes the power play face-offs and he's really valuable for that. So maybe they wouldn't want to take him off the top power play. So I don't know, like Braden Shen, it's not going to be a guaranteed spot for him. Maybe Alex Dean is getting old and, and Shen will take his spot or maybe Jaden Schwartz who didn't get too many power play points last year. But I don't know, it's not a guarantee. Also, it's probably not a guarantee that he plays with Tarasenko. So I don't know. I liked Braden Shen in Philly. I thought he was a really viable guy and he was like a sure thing to be on the top power play. Now, like, I don't know, he had 50 nine points and 55 points in his last two seasons i feel like i'm not expecting him to get more than that next year no i don't really see that happening either i think Jaden schwartz is a lock on that top unit he's really underrated he um he puts up really close to the same type of numbers as nick baxter and does it even strength for primary points and on the power play when he gets those opportunities so i think uh, i think actually Jaden schwartz is a guy that everyone should be keying in on just a couple of weeks ago, I was saying, how nice would it be if we could get a true playmaking center to play with Tarasenko? Now, they didn't do that with Shen because he's not a true playmaker. Um, but maybe Jaden Schwartz is that guy. Um, I also was tossing around uh, Robbie Fabry as, as he's a natural center who hasn't really got an opportunity to play that position in the bigs yet. But um, with Shen coming over now, replacing Laterra, he probably doesn't get that opportunity with Tarasenko anyways. Not off the hop. But uh, yeah, I think his value probably hovers around the same i think i'd probably pencil him in for about 50 55 points kind of thing which is right around that benchmark of am i interested or not so uh, like i was saying my my concern will be that philadelphia played him for three and a half plus minutes on the on the power play every night so if he's not seeing that kind of action that it's going to tough be tough for him to uh, to put up a ton of points yeah, he's good in a multi-cat or a, a bangers and match league, as we sometimes call it. He could be valuable because he also gets you those hits. So, you know, keep an eye on Braden Chen for sure. But I just don't think, yeah. that, you know, obviously if he gets to play with Tarasenko, that's great. But last year we saw so many players take turns playing with Tarasenko. So if he gets to play, like how many games will he actually play with Tarasenko, even if he starts with him? So just something to keep in mind. Then on Philly, so I guess you can't really talk about Philly without mentioning that they drafted Nolan Patrick, who is a center and I'd imagine is has a good chance to make the team next year. I don't know if you think he's going to be in the top six. Like, could he just take Braden Shen's role on, I guess, the second line and on the top power player? Or am I, like, getting too far ahead of myself with Nolan Patrick? Yeah, it's tough to know. He, he should definitely be on the team this year. He's basically a draft plus one guy already. Like, he missed being in last year's draft by a couple of days. Um, so he'll be 19 by the time the season starts. Uh, he should make that Philly team. I think he's probably, if they were smart, be best suited to have him as their third line center to start and have Sean Couturier playing in the second line role. Um, top power play unit, it's tough, right? He's a skilled guy. He's not an ultra skilled guy though. So this this draft class didn't have that elite talent at the top of it so much. Um, he's He really reminds me of Sean Couturier, to be honest with you, who had big points uh, in major junior and hasn't really translated a ton. I think he's probably got a little more offensive upside, maybe about a Bull Horvat style guy um, who should be on your top unit eventually, but I, I don't know if I'd throw them on there right away, but we'll see what they do in Philly next year. Yeah, so it's interesting when you mentioned the center. So if you had Patrick as the third line center behind Couturier and Giroux, I guess that puts Yuri Laterra, who they just traded for. He's like the fourth line center. I guess Laterra, that was like a favor that Philly did to in exchange for getting those draft picks for Shen. They had to also take on Laterra and his contract. I don't see him being the impact guy at all, considering the center depth on the team maybe the one guy though because there is an open spot now on the top power play and if you're saying that maybe nolan patrick doesn't get it there's a guy like travis konechny who does have a lot of offensive upside could he get on the top power play and see a huge bump in his value yeah potentially and i really like travis konechny he's a he's a gritty guy with a lot of skill um so he could be someone that gets a look there i think uh, they might also look at splitting up their units maybe they don't wheel them out there for so much time and, and have nothing going on their second unit maybe they split them up a little bit and play a little more 60 40 split time um, which will decrease everybody's value, but 
maybe it'll help uh, Proveroff on the second unit if he's getting more time too. By the way, I, I'm sorry this is not in reaction to what you just said. I have to say the chat room is cracking me up right now, Cam. First of all, people were talking about how they love your Thin Mints shirt. This is another reason oh, yeah. to join us live. Nice. Also, you yeah. got this light above your head. And so Matthew's saying it looks like you have a halo and you're like an angel. I mean, it's not wrong, right? Yeah. So I think that you could, yeah, you could just go to keepingcarlson.com slash YouTube. I'm pretty sure I set that up at some point. You could watch the video of this after, but you need to see, Cam, uh, after that comment. Now I can't not think that, but okay. Um, another thing I want to say quickly about Philly, I saw on Roto World just today that a guy named Oscar Lindbaum could mm-hmm. take Shen's spot in the top six. He's going to be coming in from Sweden. So is he a dark horse to potentially take all these spots that we're attributing to other guys? Uh, that would surprise me uh, to for him to step right into the top power play unit. He's a good player, though. Um, I've been watching him over in the, in the SHL for a couple of years now, and he he puts up pretty good points. I don't see him as being a, a top offensive player, though. I think he's probably got about a 40, 50 point ceiling in the near future anyways. Um, but he's a net front presence, um, which is usually Wayne Simmons' role. Shen does move over when the puck goes to the other side and kind of gets in front of the net, too. So, you know, they might take a look at him. I think Konechny's ahead of him on the depth chart uh, today, so I, I, I think he'd get a look first. But you, you never know. He, he gets some opportunities on, on one of the power play units anyways. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, if you're listening, like I said, right under where you wrote Debrinket, maybe write down Oscar Lindblom as a guy who could actually come into the league and do something. Wait, is it Lindblom? Lindblom. Maybe I, yeah. maybe I just had a typo here. Okay. Uh, by the way, I also have a cool shirt. You just can't see it, but check it out. I also have like a sort of old school icy. Eh, so I don't know. Again, got to join us live to see all this great stuff. Okay, Cam, I'm done with trades. I'm ready to move on unless you have another. There were a few other trades that I haven't brought up. Is there anything you want to mention before we get to the expansion draft? Nope, let's keep on rolling. All right, so we could obviously do a whole show talking about the expansion draft that happened. It was a really exciting few days with Vegas making their deals and then eventually picking their players and all of the people being left unprotected. It was a lot of fun. Maybe, you know, on our Patreon cast, if, if we get questions for it, Brian and I could dig deeper into the expansion draft. But I'm thinking maybe we can just talk about it quickly. Like, how do you think Vegas did overall? Like, do you think they'll be able to contend for the playoffs next year with what they did? Or do you see them more as like they've you know, built up a nice future? They got all these draft picks and maybe in two or three years from now, they'll be good. But next year, it might be one of those teams where you can't expect much, many wins and much fantasy value. Yeah, I, I don't love what they did in the in the. Um, expansion draft. Um, I know I saw what they were doing. Like they, they took, I don't know what a dozen defensemen. And so they're obviously going to flip some of those. So we'll see what they get asset wise out of those picks. But um, a few of the, the picks were kind of head scratchers for me. I think they will not be a, a contender next year. They're going to be in a, a tougher division too. And they should probably be battling for a top five spot, which is good for them long-term anyways, right? They need to, to keep stockpiling picks. I loved what they did at the entry draft. And we can get in that get into that in a few minutes, but um Overall, yeah, I'm, uh, I think they're going to be a pretty bottom-feeding team. I think it opens up some opportunities for a few players like Shea Theodore. He'll, he has nobody to contend with now, so he'll be on that top power play unit, um, which should be adequate anyways. Um, so I think he'll do well. A couple of guys like Leipzig gets an opportunity where he was stuck behind a ton of guys in Toronto. So, you know, he should get a look. He's not waiver eligible, so he's got to be on the team if they if they don't want to lose him for nothing. So there's a few players that will improve. But overall, I think it'll be a bit of a stinky situation next year. <laughs> Steamkey, like Steam. Alex Steen, as yeah. Brian likes to say. Okay. Well, so, yeah, I agree with you. It doesn't look like a very deep team. I could see them rolling out a decent top power play. Maybe uh, I'm just, like, seeing something here. But these are some decent names, right? If they throw out Marshall, so... James Neal, uh, Shipashov, 
Shea Theodore on defense, then either, I guess, maybe David Perron or Riley Smith. Like, these aren't nobodies. Like, they could potentially score some power play goals. I don't know, which would give Shea Theodore, like you say, some value if he could be a top power play defenseman who maybe, I don't know, chips in like 40 points. Is that a reasonable expectation or is that even like too much? I think he could get 40 points. I think his ceiling is 50 points. I liked him a lot better if he was going to be the man in Anaheim. Um, but um, yeah, theater, theater is really good. Uh, and, and you're right. So they, those names that you mentioned, that would be a good top power play unit. Now, who is going to play on the second power play unit? Uh, usually teams um, like to, to have somebody going down there. So maybe they'll split them up. Uh, maybe Riley Smith is the guy that's working on, on PP2 there or something like that. But uh, yeah, they'll score some goals. I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the league. Um, I think Vancouver is going to have that locked up. But um, <laughs> Colorado will battle them. But uh, yeah, they'll be okay and they'll score some goals. Hopefully they need to be exciting because I think the market that they're in, they need to sell a little bit of uh, glitz and glamour in, in Vegas. So I wouldn't be surprised if they make a few more moves here before the season starts and, and get a couple more players that can put up some goals, even if they're aging. Yeah, well, maybe they could pull uh, Leafs from a couple of years ago and, you know, get a couple of free agents, like older guys on one-year deals that they'll like flip at the trade deadline and maybe help them out early on. I-, I could see something like that happening. So, okay, so who's on your radar? You're in a keeper league. I'd imagine most of these guys aren't being kept. Like in your draft, who's sort of on your radar as people to take from Vegas? Like you've mentioned Shea Theodore. And not, I'm not talking about like for years down the road. And we'll get into the entry draft and you could talk about all of their great picks there. But in terms of like the guys I just mentioned or anyone else who's like on the team for next year, do you see anyone jumping out at you as someone you would be happy to have on your fantasy team? Um, well, yeah, Shibashev, he could be okay. You know, I think he, he could put up 50, 55 points. He should probably be seeing 20 minutes a night, top unit, uh, first line. Um, James Neal, again, will get all the opportunity he can handle. I really like Jonathan Marshall. So I think that was a, a very strange decision by the Panthers to let him go. He's, he's underrated. He does perform better when he's playing with high talent, um, which there won't be a, a ton of that going on in Vegas. So um, maybe replicating 30 goals might be difficult for him, but I think he's a really good player still. Nobody that I'm really going to reach for other than Theodore. I think I think Theodore, just because he doesn't have anyone blocking his path now, that he's a, a pretty decent asset for this coming year versus he might have been a bit of more of a weight uh, if he'd stayed in Anaheim. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And especially now if you're in a keeper league, if Theodore could give you some value next year as maybe one of your bottom defensemen on your fantasy team, and then if we're going to get into this entry draft and you think you, they did really well, maybe in the years to come, Theodore just gets more and more valuable if he's the top power play defenseman on the team in terms of offense, right? Like obviously, like Ian's been mentioning in our Facebook group, how Theodore is not such a great defenseman in terms of defensive ability, but whatever. We're talking fantasy. Top power play defenseman is a guy you want to have on your team. Okay. Last thing I'll ask you about Vegas before we get into the entry draft goaltending so you're saying you don't expect them to be a huge great team which means mark andre Fleury, who we assume is going to be the number one goalie going into the season you're not going to draft him too high but still a starting goalie has value in leagues especially if the league counts saves and i'm sure an expansion team is going to let in a lot of shots which means a lot of saves available unless like is it fair to say that Fleury is like the for sure uncontested number one goalie or could we see calvin pickard taking a run at him like for what it's worth Fleury put up a pretty not great season last year he had a 909 save percentage and this is on pittsburgh who's a really good team this is in 38 games pickard you know not much better unfortunately he had a 904 save percentage in 50 games but he was on a dismal dismal team in colorado and pickard did have good runs in the previous couple of years when varlamov went down so I'm just curious if you think there's any upside for calvin pickard to potentially take the number one job or is it just even for the visuals of it like do they have to give flurry the games just because they're going to be marketing him as the top goalie 
Yeah, that's what I think will happen. I think he's the new face of the franchise, and that they're gonna they're gonna give him you know several opportunities to be the man. So if he falters, they'll probably just keep wheeling him out there. They might play picker a little bit to give him a break, but unless he really struggles for a long time, I think uh, I think he's the man, and and I think he'll do fine. He looked really good in the playoffs. Obviously, he, he brought them uh, through a couple rounds there, the Penguins. Um, so I, I think he'll likely get close to 60 starts next year, 55, 60 starts, which is valuable. And like you said, he'll see a ton of rubber. Um, he's still a good goalie. Uh, you know, he's, is he? I, I think, I think he's still a good goalie. I, I like Mark Andre Fleury. I might have a soft spot for him because he seems like such a sweet guy. Yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't target him again, just like you wouldn't target too many bottom teams, goaltenders, but as a, as a number three on your team, if you needed one, I think you could do worse. Okay, so uh, Mike Smith. Oh, no, I guess you had Ranta below Mike Smith. So I guess of the goalies we've talked about, you had Ranta at the bottom. Would you prefer Ranta or Flurry for next year? I'd probably take Flurry, even though Vegas is probably going to be worse than Arizona, just because Ranta's never never showed me anything before as a starter. So he's got to prove that. You know, ask me again 30 games in, and I might have a different answer. Yeah, well, then it's too yeah, late. <laughs> but yeah. I guess the thing is, it's tough, right? Because Fleury yeah, has been good. He's shown it a lot that he's a really good starter, but he's also shown that he could have a bad year like last year when he had the 999 save percentage. Ranta hasn't played a lot of games, but he did have a 922 save percentage last year. So he was much better at stopping pucks than Fleury. So I guess we'll see going to next year. I just get nervous about taking a guy who I'm worried could blow me up. Like Fleury hurt a lot of people last year in fantasy who were holding on to him, even though Matt Murray was getting the majority of the starts. But the idea was probably, well, he's still going to hold on to Fleury because when he does play Pittsburgh's probably going to win and then there's a lot of times where the flurry owners really got burned by holding him instead of dropping him for someone else and then still getting burned when he did play so we'll see next year Vegas it's going to be tough for him I kind of like Calvin Pickard like I would love to see Calvin Pickard get a chance to be on a good team and unfortunately now he's on Vegas so it might be similar to Colorado but still I don't know I'd like to see what he could do given a starter's job on a somewhat okay team but maybe we won't see that next year maybe in the future Calvin Pickard's a lot younger than Marc-Andre Fleury yeah I think so too I actually like Pickard a lot more than Varlamov in Colorado and I, I if, if I were them I would have kept him um, and built around him but uh, and so you know Pickard could be a good guy for them going forward I don't know if I was Vegas I know the goaltending market is saturated right now and there's lots of bodies out there but I would have just grabbed a bunch of goalies like I would have grabbed Grubauer and I don't know. I, I, I think that uh, just grabbing Picard and him and wasn't wasn't the greatest move, just him and Fleury having that uh, depth there. But anyways. So what do you think was a uh, otter choice? Colorado protecting Varlamov over Pickard or Detroit protecting Jimmy Howard over Mrazek? And also how awkward is it going to be in Detroit now that Mrazek hasn't been taken? Oh, man. Well, apparently the, Kenny Holland was trying to trade Mrazek. He's been trying to trade him for a while and nobody's into him, which blows my mind. Like I'm sure you've all read the rumors that he's a bit of a head case, that he's overly confident and kind of a tough guy to deal with in the room. But number one, goalies only talk to goalies in the room anyways for the most part like they're an odd bunch generally and he's the guy's good so i don't i don't understand why a team wouldn't want to trade for him but and for vegas not to pick him is is pretty strange too the only thing worse was uh, st louis protecting ryan reeves but i guess we all know why because they're going to flip him for a first round pick in some <laughs> alternate universe I guess I saw I was listening to the PDO cast, which is another podcast I really like. That and Dauber Prospects are the two podcasts I listen to to prepare myself for this podcast talking to you so I would know about some of these prospects and lesser known guys. But I liked they were saying how Pittsburgh maybe wants the challenge. They've won without Ryan Reeves. Now they want to see <laughs> if they can win with Ryan Reeves. So we'll see. All right. So Cam, here we are. You're the expert about prospects and the draft. So I've been steering this ship up till now, but now I am ready to open up my red stripe. Here we go. And I'm just going to let you take it from here. Like I could give you some general questions like going into the draft. 
I'm sure you had a lot of thoughts about who should be drafted where. Maybe we could like go through the top 10 or so guys, you know, and get some details since those are the the bigger names. And I'd love just to know like your scouting report on some of these players. And then, you know me, like I'd love to hear about which guys you think could be effective next year like someone who could potentially be like a late pick that you take that can help you next year and then of course but then also there's people in keeper leagues who want to know who they should be targeting that they won't get value from next year but in the future but like we already talked a little bit about nolan patrick but of course we have to talk about nico hishier i'm gonna have to make sure i pronounce his name right is it hishier yeah there you go. I, I nailed it. I'm going to actually edit out the fact where I, the part where I asked you how to pronounce his name. I know Nico Hishier is a huge prospect, and now he's going to be a huge star on the New Jersey Devils. I feel like if you are a number one pick and you go to the New Jersey Devils, generally that's not a good thing for your offensive upside. But maybe maybe things are changing. Like they've got Taylor Hall, right, and some other guys, I suppose. Like, is there a chance that Hishier could be a viable guy in fantasy next year? And also, like, what do you think overall about New Jersey picking him over Patrick? Yeah, it was the right call. He he was the best prospect available. Um, he's super talented, really, really fast. Uh, he's got great edge work. He's a scorer. He's a distributor. He's got uh, all the tools to be a, a good, strong offensive producer for them for a lot of years. Um, they have a lot of speed on their team too, so I think it fits well um, if he can match up with Taylor Hall uh, down the road there. Uh, I think next year it'd probably be safe to expect 40 points sort of thing. I wouldn't be expecting a ton out of him right out of the gate. He might surprise me. Uh, he he had a, a great second half. He really came on and, and overtook Patrick there for the top spot. So I like him in New Jersey. I think they made the right call. I think he should be the first uh, pick for fantasy drafts for for prospects. Um, I would argue that Nolan Patrick shouldn't even be the second pick for for some fantasy oh. drafts. Um, depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for someone who can step in and give you some points next year, then sure. Uh, but for my money, Cal McCarr is uh, the second best uh, offensive player in this in this draft on the back end. And he'll be a little bit of a wait, but he is truly dynamic. And so he went number four to Colorado. And I know Colorado is a bit of a train wreck right now, but in a couple of years playing with Nate McKinnon and uh, Ranton in down there and Tyson Yost, I think it'll be uh, a good situation for him. And he's going to put up a ton of points. So do you think McCarr, so you're saying, first of all, he could make the team next year for Colorado, or we're talking a couple years down the road before he even makes the team? Yeah, he's going to the NCAA next year. Um, he's not going to a great program, but he's going to play uh, against a good quality competition. So we're going to learn how uh, how well he can play defense right away, because he was like a true rover. He was playing tier two hockey here uh, in Alberta, so in the AJHL, so not great quality of uh, competition. And he was, they played this weird, like man-to-man defensive scheme uh, in Brooks. And so he would often be up like at the point guarding a winger in his own end. And then he'd be the guy getting the breakout pass and just, you know, breaking ankles out there. So he was, he was far superior than a lot of the talent in that league. So you don't really know how he's going to look with, uh, with some really talented, big, strong guys coming down on him, but uh, he's fast. He's got, he's probably the best skater in the entire draft. Um, he's very, very smart. He's got a huge slap shot, uh, super creative, really great edge work. Like I was saying, he gets his shots through. I think in my mind, if you are smart and you want it, you can play defense. So as long as you're not five foot six. Um, so I think he'll be just fine. And I think Colorado hit a home run with him at four. That's cool. So do you see him bumping Tyson Barry? Like, does this hurt Tyson Barry's keeper value like in a couple of years? Yeah, I, I think he's going to be better than Tyson Barry. And now I know that saying quite a bit because Barry has been a guy who's put up 50 plus points a couple of times and he's still relatively young, but um McCarr's that type of player and you know development still has to occur here so a lot of things can change but he's on the path that he's he's trending to be a a better player than that like he could be one of those guys that gets 60 points from the back end which are so rare oh cool okay so he's definitely someone that people should keep in mind and then he's not even the first defenseman who was drafted though we have Miro Heskinen going to Dallas Heskinen 
Heisken and ah, yeah. <laughs> I like Heisenberg. Okay, yeah, yeah. Dallas, they're already a team where we saw some people competing with Klingberg to get on that top power play. Do now we have another threat? Maybe not next year, but in a couple of years, is Heisken and someone who could take that role? Is he just more like a solid defensive guy? Heiskanen's awesome. I had him uh, second on my draft board for for real life rankings. Um, he's a really, really good player. He skates really well. He plays kind of a Duncan Key style game where he's motoring all over the ice. He's great on the in his own end too. He's a lefty though, and so I think what we're going to see in a couple of years is he's going to be playing with Klingberg. Um, he'll be that stabilizing presence on that on that top pair in the not so distant future. So as a 17 year old playing in the Finnish Liga, the top league over there in Finland, he played all situations, top power play, top PK, put up you know good numbers, not massive numbers, but uh, he's a 17 year old playing pro hockey. Uh, so I think he probably plays one more year over there, and then he'll jump right into Dallas's lineup. Um, I think he'll he'll push Essa Lindell down uh, to go play with Julius Honka on the second pair or something like that long term. Um, but Heiskanen is a guy who doesn't have the same type of offensive ceiling as Makar. Um, he's a safer player, so he's got a higher floor probably, but a lower ceiling. Uh, really good prospect too. I'd have him for fantasy-wise maybe sixth or seventh best uh, player in this draft. Okay, interesting. By the way, I want to circle back really quickly to Hishir. So you said 40 points. General keeper league strategy that I'll throw out there that's not bad, right? If you could yeah. get a guy who has upside to be like a real star a couple years down the road, but you'd have to draft him early to get him, but he could at least be somewhat like half point a game or point every second game. That's not horrible. Like that's someone that you could roster. Like it's it, that's the type of guy that would be near the top of your free agency in most like, I guess, deep-ish leagues. So it might be worth taking the short-term hit. Like maybe you could have a 50-point guy if you wanted that will help you next year, or you could take a 40 point guy, lose a point every couple matchups, but you know, have this guy for the long term. So it's something to think about depending on the format of your league. All right. So then that we've already talked through the top four. Now we've got your team, the Vancouver Canucks. Are you happy with them grabbing Elias Peterson, another Swedish guy? I heard rumor has it he had dinner with the Sedins. So he's gonna fit right in there. Yeah, yeah. The Canucks flew him, uh, flew him out after the combine. They brought in Cody Glass too. Um, so it was pretty. It was pretty clear it was down to those two guys. Unless uh, Makar, Heiskin, and Fell, I think they would have had to grab them. I'm really happy with Elias Pettersson. He is ultra talented. He was, in, for my money, the most talented guy left on the board. Um, I really like Cody Glass too. Going to Vegas, he's a solid player. He's probably got, like I was saying, about Heiskin and a higher floor. But Pettersson's just a playmaker. He he skates well. He's not super fast at top end speed, but he's really quick. Um, great, great puck skills, scores goals, and then he sets them up too with with kind of Nick Backstrom-like precision. Like if, if you watch a couple of his clips out there floating around the internet, like he makes these backhand saucer passes just cross ice into an area that magically the guy comes in and just right on his tape. Um, he's a really good player. He's 6'2", 165 pounds, so he's razor thin. I was actually surprised he weighed that much at the combine. Um, I'd been tracking him for a couple of years now and, you know, rumors had it. He was soaking wet about a buck 50 sort of thing. So he's already starting to put on weight. He's wiry strong though. I don't think it's going to be an issue. He's, he's really elusive out there. He'll go back. He'll play um, uh, in the, for Baxo of the Swedish elite league. Um, he played for Timra in the Allsvexen, which is the second tier there in Sweden uh, with Canucks prospect, Jonathan Dahlin. Uh, so the two played on a, a line together. Dolin was named the top U20 player in the league, um, and Pedersen, I'm sure, was second best. Um, they they worked a lot better together than apart, so I think that played a role for Vancouver. Uh, down the road, they've got that built-in chemistry. We'll see if Dolin comes and plays in the AHL this year or if he goes back to Sweden too. Uh, I, I don't think Baxo owns his uh, SHL rights, though, so we'll see if Vancouver can kind of force them to uh, get on the same line together too if he goes home. But uh, I really like Pedersen. I think he's a high skill guy and he's someone that could replace Henrik Sedin down the road as a top line playmaking center. 
So there was a question here from Matthew in the chat room saying, any chance Pedersen plays at a big club this year? You've kind of already answered that. Maybe we could just do a quick, like, is there anyone in the first round aside from Hishir and Nolan Patrick who you expect to play in the NHL next season? Uh, nobody that I expect to play. There's always some random guy who steps into the lineup. Like, uh, you know, maybe it's Huso Valamaki, a defenseman who's, who's bigger or, or someone like that. Yeah, I really, I really don't see another guy that jumps off the page at me that's going to make the team. Um, make the NHL rated a training camp, but there will be. There'll be a couple of guys that surprise, maybe even like a second rounder who randomly makes their team. But, right, uh, but no one, no one that people can like set their watch to now and, and grab because they know they're going to get value right away. So pretty much everyone else we're going to talk about, we're talking to maybe three years down the road. Uh, like if we were to round out the top 10, like are there any really exciting picks for you? I heard that Buffalo, you know, they feel a lot of people were saying they should really go for a defenseman because they're so shallow there. But then it was like very good for them that Casey Middlestat fell all the way to eighth overall. So they kind of had no choice. They had to take him because he's so good. Yeah, Casey Millsat's a dynamic player for sure. For a long time, like I thought he was going to be a legit option at number three for Dallas because I, I, if Heiskanen wasn't there, I think they would have probably looked at him too. Um, so yeah, middle stat, but he's a couple years away for sure. I think he's uh, at least two years away uh, playing in the NCAA at Minnesota. Um, maybe even three. He's got a lot of developing to do, but he's got a really high ceiling. So Middlestat's a good player. Owen oh, Tippett is a pure goal scorer going to Florida 10th. He's going to be a little bit of time too. Apparently he's got some off ice issues a little bit. He's uh, if he's not scoring goals for, he's not doing much on the ice. So he's, he's one of those guys that uh, he needs to, he needs to bring it. And if he does, I think he could be a dynamic player. Yeah. With Florida, I guess you know, we were talking about how deep they were last year. They had like a good top nine of all fantasy relevant players at one point. Now all of a sudden with them losing Marsha. So they lost Riley Smith. I assume Vanek is a free agent. Yager's a free agent who will probably sign for like one year. All of a sudden we have some room on Florida. Is like Owen Tippett someone who could potentially play right wing with Barkov and Huberdeau in a couple of years? Is that some? Is that like his biggest upside? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That would be obviously a terrific spot for him. And like I was saying, he is a pure shooter. He's one of the, the few guys in this class that could legitimately score 40 goals down the road if everything fell right. That's exciting. Okay. So anyway, sorry, I interrupted. Who else do you like in this draft, like in the first round? Who's someone that you think was, you know, a steal, like a team got a really good deal or you think that someone's going to, who's going to make a really big impact? Yeah. Gabe Velarde going 11 to LA. Um, that was a great pick for them. I actually, I, I don't, I'm not a big mock draft guy. I was bored one night, so I just mocked out the top 10. Um, and I had Velarde slipping out of that and I was taking a bunch of heat for it, but I just, for some reason felt that he might slide. He's, his skating's a little bit questionable. Hey, he's about a half step behind, but uh, he's a big power center who who's a good playmaker. Now, the issue is if he's not a centerman because he's not a great skater, then he's a winger, in which case 11 is probably where he should have gone. I'd prefer Tippett to him. But if he if he could be that kind of Anze Kopitar replacement, um, he's a really high-skilled guy. He's He was a projected top-five pick for the past two years, so he's a really skilled player. Um, then the next one is Nick Suzuki going 13 to Vegas. Them getting Cody Glass and Nick Suzuki in those first two picks were just huge wins like i'm a big big nick suzuki fan he uh performs favorably in comparison to matt duchene during their junior careers um really young guy for this class too is just a, a like a week and a half for something away from being in the 2018 crop so he's got a lot of developing to do but really really good player just doesn't have that one uh aspect that really jumps out at you but just does everything really well so i really like that at 13 i thought that was good value uh, another vegas pick you want to bring something up about that well, oh no, I had a stupid question. Is Nick Suzuki related to David Suzuki? And in terms of that famous Canadian scientist? I'm going to guess no. He's out in Ontario and, and David's here in BC, but maybe. You never know. I haven't heard it though. That'd be pretty cool. Well, I know the next guy who was picked, Callan Foote. He's the son of Adam Foote. Yes. Yeah. For everyone who says I don't know anything about prospects, Adam Foote's son went to the Lightning, picked by Steve Iserman, 
who was on the team that played against Adam Foote when it was like Detroit versus Colorado, all those exciting games. So, hey, look at that. Yeah, there you go. I think that was a really bad pick for Tampa Bay, to be honest with you. Heiserman. Uh, yeah, I had Foot outside of my top 40. Um, he's a fairly one-dimensional guy. He reminds me a lot of Griffin Reinhardt, where he's got the sluggish feet, and he's on the power play. He can just take a, a big clap, or he doesn't do anything else. Um, so I, I didn't love that pick for him. Does he have Chris Russell upside? Can he um, block a lot of shots? Yeah, yeah, he blocks a lot of shots. He, he doesn't play as mean as his dad, but he does put up some pims, too. But uh, I really liked Vegas's next pick too, Eric Brandstrom. He's only about 5'9", 5'10", uh, a left-handed puck-moving defenseman, but like a pure power play offensive guy. Really, really talented. Um, he was projected to go in the second round early in the year, even third round. He just rocketed up the up the uh, draft boards. So that was a good pick. And then I think the home run was Yamamoto to Edmonton, which just isn't fair. Kaylor Yamamoto is so talented. If he was even three inches taller, he would have been locked in in the top five. Instead, he slides all the way to 22 to Edmonton. Yeah, it's going to be gross when he's playing there in like three or four years, playing with Drysaddle and Rick David, because he's just crazy talented. Do you see that as a spot for him? I'm seeing his stats, 99 points last year in 65 games for the Spokane Chiefs. That's uh, pretty, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good indeed. Yeah, no, he uh, a couple of years ago, he put up like one of the best 16-year-old seasons that we've seen in a long time in the WHL. Um, and then this year, he led all CHL players in points per game. He led uh, for draft eligibles. He led all uh, draft eligibles in primary points per game. Uh, he's really, really good. He's the problem is he's five foot seven and one hundred and fifty pounds. Right, uh, but hey, how many the, people are going to be playing with McDavid in a few years? I thought Puliyarvi oh, was already going to be there. Yeah, yeah. I, I tweeted out right after. I, you could just see the writing on the wall that he was going to fall to Edmonton. Um, but you just imagine uh, Yamamoto, McDavid, and Puliyarvi in a few years. And Yamamoto does play on his off wing. Uh, that's where he's most comfortable. So that could be a line uh, down the road, maybe. But. Uh, He's definitely a top six guy. Like he, he's not going to play in your bottom six. So okay. it's, if he makes it, he's going to be huge. All right. Well, that's exciting. So someone to keep an, keep an eye on. Kaylor Yamamoto. Apparently I said Spokane wrong. It's supposed to be Spokane. Okay. Yeah. But it's spelled K-A-N-E. It's not Patrick Can. Yeah. yeah. Spokane Chiefs. Yeah. I, sh- I just started a comedy podcast. It's a separate <laughs> thing. I'm killing it right now. Okay. Uh and who else do you, who else did you like? I, I heard some talk about how the Leafs were lucky to get this defenseman that fell all the way to them. Yeah, Tim Timothy Liljegren, um, for a couple of years now, he was projected as being like one or two with Patrick. Um, he had a, a terrific 16-year-old season, uh, 16-17-year-old season playing uh, in the SHL. Uh, got mono last June, um, so that kind of killed his offseason and, and gave him a sluggish start. I have not been as high on him uh, this past year. He is a, just an amazing skater, like gorgeous, gorgeous skating. Um, top end speed, good quickness. Uh, problem is, is he kind of uses it a little too much where he'll skate himself into trouble. He'll end up in the offensive corner rather than making a pass and setting himself up at the point. Um, I don't love his processing skills, but he's a really high ceiling guy. So he could be a top pairing right-handed power play quarterback sort of thing, or, you know, maybe he's a number five if, if it doesn't break. Right. So um, Toronto definitely at that spot at 17, it's a, a great spot to pick him, And I think they did well. And if he, if he comes through that, they could be a terrific pick for him. Okay, well, that's all the questions I have for you about the draft. Maybe if you have any other players you wanted to bring up, I could ask you about some more last names. Like if if Josh Norris is related to the the guy who the trophy's named after, oh, uh, is Chuck Norris? Yeah, Huck Nor- I don't know. Pierre Chuck Olivier Norris. Joseph is he related to Curtis Joseph? Yeah. Uh, I, I could keep going. Robert <laughs> Thomas is he related to Tim Thomas? Uh, no, no, thank goodness, no one wants to be related to Tim Thomas. Okay, guy's a clown. Um, Eli Tolvanen falling to Nashville at. 30 um i had him 10 on my draft board like this guy pumps shots on net like i think he's historically one of the top shot producers in ushl history he's a you know five foot 
10 and a half, maybe five foot 11, 180 pounds. So he plays kind of bigger than he is, but uh, pure goal scorer. Another guy who could be a 40 goal scorer. News came out right before the draft that he wasn't accepted to Boston College because of his grades, which is you never ever hear that. What? <laughs> yeah, elite athletes going to to top schools. I'm. Uh, it's usually just like the wink, wink, nudge, nudge sort of thing. Like let's get him three tutors and let's get him on the ice sort of thing. Um, so he got rejected from BC, which is uh, I don't know if that's what caused him to fall down the draft board or not. But uh, that was a bit of a surprise for me. So Nashville, I think they got a steal there. And then the next pick that how was Jack, how were Jack Eichel's grades? I don't know. Yeah, didn't he go to Boston College? Uh, he went to Boston University, I think. Ah, okay. Yeah. Oh, you got to be a really good student to get into a university instead of a college. <laughs> yeah, I think he was at BU anyways. Um, and then the very next pick that, for some unexplained reason, Pittsburgh traded away, uh, St. Louis got Klim Kostin, um, who's a Russian who's had a, a difficult year this year with a shoulder injury, but another guy who can just take over games. He has top five talent when he wants to do it. Um, so he showed really, really well at the top prospects game or that Canada-Russian Super Series He's, uh, he's going to come right over. So he's not going to play in junior. He's not going to play in Russia. He's either going to play in the AHL or the NHL next year. Um, my money is on the AHL. But he's he's that guy who could maybe slip on to the St. Louis Blues roster. He's a big, strong kid. He had a shoulder injury, but apparently it's all good. He looked good at the combine. Apparently interviewed really well, like kind of dry humor and a funny kid, but really big upside. So getting him at 31 was a big steal for St. Louis too and another guy that you should have your eyes on for fantasy. Man, so anyone who insulted them for protecting Ryan Reeves instead of David Perron, now all of a sudden looks like they did pretty well. If they're getting this guy, Clem Costin, who you're saying might have some upside. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I was ripping Armstrong for that, and then I, I take it all back. He, he obviously had this planned out. He knew Jim Rutherford was going to give everything for Ryan Reeves. Huh. It That's... must have been like a lost bet or something. Like, I really don't <laughs> understand. I just don't understand. Well, watch Pittsburgh win the cup next year, like regardless of having Ryan Reeves or not. And then everyone will be like, oh, see, like, you know, Ryan Reeves, he played 10 minutes a game and, and he was an impact guy. So he was a smart move. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I guess before we go, we got to get some quick Canucks talk, right? Since you're the Canucks writer. What do you think? For next? You already said you think they're going to be the worst team in the league. Fantasy wise, who do, who do I want from the Canucks? Like who's going to get me more than 50 points? Yeah, Bo Horvat. Uh, I think Horvat will break 50 again. I think the Sedins will come back and have a little bit of a better season too. They uh, they hire, hired uh, Newell Brown, uh, who was their power play coach during their heydays uh, through like 2009 and to 2013 when the Canucks were putting up all the top power play points in the league. Um, so he's back. So that maybe helps their power play unit a little bit. Brock Besser is obviously their top prospect, um, pure goal scorer, really great release. I, I really like Brock Besser. If he was on a better team, I think he'd be you know, right up there as someone you'd be targeting even for this year. Um, in Vancouver, though, I could see a 2020 season out of him getting 40 points and 20 goals. Um, he's got really high upside. Um, that's about it. You know, oh. Troy Stetcher loves to shoot the puck. He, he should be on that top power play, so he's a good player. But, you know, 30, 35 points sort of thing from him. He for sure, though, the or who is he who you expect to be the top power play defenseman, Troy Stetcher, as opposed to maybe like, um, who was yeah. that? Oh, uh, Ben Hutton at one point was there also. Yeah, so uh, Stetcher's a righty. Um, he's, he's Chris Tanev's their number one defenseman, and he's a right-handed guy, but he's not a power play guy. So I think Stetcher should be the right-hand shot on that power play unless they load up and go four forwards. Um, hopefully they don't. Hopefully they get Brandon Sutter away from that top power play unit as far as they can. Um, but uh, it should be Troy Stetcher. It might not be. Edler's usually a lock on that top unit, but we'll see. Okay, I hear so. I think you're getting whistled out of the room right now. So maybe you got okay. One more question, and then I'll let you go. I promise. I know you have another podcast to do about the Canucks, right? So, yeah. uh, goaltending is it going to be Jacob Mark? Like, are they going to resign Ryan Miller, or is Jacob Markstrom actually going to be their starting goalie going into next year? 
Um, and for some reason, they don't want to hand the ball to, to Markstrom. Um, apparently, they're still negotiating some bonus-laden contract with Ryan Miller. I don't know why. I, Miller was pretty good for them last year, but I think their goal should be to be competitive, to be in games, and hopefully lose a ton of one-goal games so that they can get a top pick next year um, because the top end of next year's draft has some really, really big talent in it. And so I think that should be their goal. They should do everything they can to get another second round pick if you're asking me or a second first round pick if you're asking me. Um, but yeah, you, we'll see. Um, there's a lot of goalies out there. So if Miller doesn't want to come back, they could, you know, sign Brian Elliott or, or one of these other guys that are just floating around. Steve Mason is still out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other rumor is that, you know, Dallas needs to move a goalie. Um, so it would make sense for them to, to throw Kari Letton in over to Vancouver with an asset. Um, to get him to take that cap off their hands. And he's only got one year left, so they could do that. Uh, it's going to be Thatcher Demko's net down the road anyways. So it, I think he's the guy that you want long-term if Vancouver can ever pull it together. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. So it's just they just need to have a couple years of tanking and then hopefully get that Thatcher Demko, get Brock Besser going, but Horvat's going to be good. One day, your Canucks, they're going to rise again and be good. <laughs> and now they have Elias Peterson. So who knows? All right, so Cam, thank you so much for joining, helping us in a crunch here. The first ever episode I've done without Brian... It was easy. It was fun. Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks for having me. If you guys want to, I'll come back in the summer and we can talk about, you know, just young guys coming into the league. And I think I talked about Jake Gensel there uh, and that first time you had me on before he was anybody. So maybe oh, I can yeah, that's true. people. Yeah. And actually for the patrons, they even got the the news before you came on the show. You were talking about Jake Gensel right when he called up. And I even feel so dumb because on the podcast, he came up, he had that one amazing game. And then he went slow. And then Brian and I were like, uh, you know, like, don't get overly excited about him. And then look how he finished his season and went through the playoffs. Now everyone wants Jake Gensel. What are you, what are you projecting for him next year? Is he going to get like 75, 80 points? Oh, like 115 probably, okay. <laughs> if any of my buddies are listening. Uh, no, I, he, he's got serious talent, though, and playing with Crosby, like, yeah, 70 points isn't completely unrealistic. That's very exciting. He's going to be drafted very high in the couple because you're going to be talking him up all summer long, I'm sure. Okay, yeah. so Cam, uh, what should we plug for you? You've got your Twitter, which you were very busy with all the time, especially over the draft. It's like, uh, I'll, I'll let you actually say it. It's Crazy Joe Devola. I don't know if there's like a number in there or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, at Crazy Joe Devola 3 I always say bonus points if you get the reference. Um, that's where I do uh, all my stuff gets thrown out there. I, I get published on Dauber Prospects, obviously, and uh, Dauber Hockey. I do the prospect report and the, the main guide for Dauber there, too. And uh, just out there throwing out hockey talk. Nice. And, and you're doing a Canucks podcast afterwards? Do you want to tell me where they could go listen to that? Yeah, for sure. So I'm jumping on the CKNW, which is a pretty major radio station here. They have a podcast um, in 20 minutes. I'm jumping on that. It'll probably pump out tomorrow. So I'll, I'll post it on Twitter too when it gets released. If you guys follow me. and Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you were a good get. We're getting you before you're going to be too hard to get. You're going on all these podcasts. But yeah, that was great. Uh, for everyone who listened, I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. Like I said, we'll be back for another regular episode now in a couple of weeks. For the patrons, we're going to be doing a patron cast on July 5th. I believe it is. I'll confirm it in the patron group. It's not too late to sign up. KeepingCarlson.com slash patrons. Still, we have our $1 promotion going. You can sign up to be a patron, Keeping Carlson, for basically nothing. You give us a little bit of support, but basically you get in there, you get in the Facebook group, you chat with smart guys like Cam, you can post your fancy hockey questions, and you get access to our patron cast, and it should be a fun one after all the free agency happens in July. Hope you enjoyed the bonus podcast. You can tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know what you think. If you would be so kind as to give us a five-star review on iTunes, I wouldn't say no to that. But with that, let's cue the outro music. And I'm just realizing now that normally Brian reads the credits, but he's not here. So let's see. I used Dauber Hockey. I used Roto World. Uh, what else did I do? Fan Tracks. I was looking up some stats over there. Mm, that might be it. 
as far as, I, like, it makes me look dumb, right, that I didn't use all of these. I'll tell you the ones that Brian usually uses. Frozen Pool, Corsica, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects. I, I used all of those, by the way, for all of my analysis, too. I'm just remembering now that I did. Okay, so thanks again, Cam, for joining us, and, and why don't you take us out? All right, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, cue that outro music. No, that, the outro music's already playing. Oh, I got nothing. I can't I, hear it. Yeah. I want like a goodbye. Uh, so I'll do it. Uh, you know, you know, Brian always has his little slogan. Keep on yeah. keeping Carlson. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs>